Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the faculty chair of autonomous vehicle engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Good evening, Fred. And we are happy to have joining us this week, futurist, innovation advisor, and author, Chunka Moy. He is a contributor at Forbes, and we're really glad to have you with us, Chunka. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's really great to have you. I mean, you um, you really were one of the original writers on all this and with the original vision, and um, it's great having you. Thanks. I appreciate that. Well, this week, Chunka has a three-part series of articles for Forbes Out titled 15 Hurdles to the Industrialization of Driverless Cars. And you start out by hearkening back to the Segway and the hype that surrounded its introduction I know I went up and talked to Dean Kamen back in those days. It, that The idea was that it would revolutionize transportation. And you go on to say one could well imagine driverless cars being relegated to a narrow market like the Segway was and, and has been. Uh, and then you give us your thoughts on what needs to happen to avoid that. And I'll let you tell us a little bit more from here about what's in this piece. Well, sure. Um well, I should start by saying that I'm a very um, uh, close observer of this technology, as Alan described earlier, and I am still really enthusiastic about it. And unlike some others, I'm still pr really surprised and uh, amazed by the progress that, that the developers of the technology have made in the last few years. I think the, the people in the lead, like uh, Waymo and Cruise and the folks in the autonomy and the, the spin-off companies around, they, they've done amazing things. And they really have progressed in a lot of ways faster than what many people thought possible. But I think that right now we're sort of at the stage where even as the technology itself nears um, completion, I put completion in quotes, um, there are a whole set of other issues that now come to the fore that will make difference between uh, whether or not this technology's um, in, move to an industrial strength version and adopt it. You know, in the same way that the Segway, and I, I thought it was amazing, too. I remember riding through the deserts of Arizona with, with it at full blast and thinking this was amazing technology. Um, and they essentially delivered to their specs, but the rest of the world never accepted it. And it never changed the, the transportation ecosystem in the way that, um, that many people thought. So I started to think about, well, what does it take to actually turn this technology, the car, into transportation businesses. And that's what I wrote about in the Forbes piece, the, the 15 things that I thought were really big hurdles, even after the technology worked and was safe enough uh, in order to really revolutionize transportation. Some of the things you write about are standardization, regulation, and public acceptance. And we've seen polls, which we don't pay too much attention to at this point, uh, indicating that the people aren't all that accepting of uh, of driverless cars or automated vehicles, at least at this point, for the mainstream. Right, right. You know, I'm not referring to the polls as much as what will it take for for the rest of the world to uh, to allow these cars to operate. 
you know, traditionally in the uh, in the technology business, we think about early adopters. We think about you know new technologies, focusing in on early adopters, using the learnings and the resources from that early market segment to sort of slingshot into into the mass market and what what's often called Main Street acceptance. But we have a technology here that's a different kind of animal because you can't just rely on early adopters because it affects not just the early paying customers, but it affects the rest of the world as well. Because every car you drive by, driven by a human, and every pedestrian you drive by, I mean, those people have to accept these cars as well. So when I think about broad public acceptance, I, I sort of think about that as, well, the rest of the world trusts that that these cars should be allowed to operate, even if they're not willing to get, in, get it into them themselves. And trust has to do with technical trust. It has to do with uh, standardization. It has to do with regulation. And it has to do with broad public acceptance. Well, Chunk, I, I of course, agree with you uh, 100% of that. Uh, and, and one of the things that I've been sort of saying and the thing that I'm trying to do here in New Jersey <clears throat> is uh, is to uh, create a, a welcoming environment for, for these things. And, and, and I think it's important that, that, that we, uh, we look at two different technologies here. There, there's the one technology in which, which I call either safe or self-driving cars in which, you know, it's basically the same thing that we have now. We own it. It just lets us take our hands off the wheel. Uh, doesn't let us die as, as, as quickly. Um, uh, but otherwise, <laughs> right. it's, it's, it's business as usual. As compared to the driverless that, that, that that some people have thought, oh, you know, that's the car that now I can sleep in, but but it's not. That that's a mobility machine uh, to provide mobility to people and, and to everybody. And and you know, I I keep push, saying that we aren't going to own those these things. They're going to be fleets. They're going to be operating. And what's what's really important for them is just the, the trust that you put in there, the public acceptance of these things um, driving down our streets. And and if 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 we don't publicly accept them, as as I like to say, you know, it will be easy for any of us to go out and just key them, right. as, if you know what keying yeah. is, or <laughs> you know, I'll throw a brick through a window, right, or right. you know. The kids will come out of the, the side, will jack it up, put it on cinder blocks, and steal the wheels. <laughs> well, and so you know, I mean, if and that's what will happen if if these things are invaders of right. of, of the people that they're trying to serve. And w one of the things that they're really trying to do here in New Jersey is to say, if these things are mobility machines. You know, we might have New Jersey Transit that takes us to New York by train. But my goodness, all the 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 ninety six percent of the other trips taken in New Jersey, you you have to own a car, and 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 it's and these things could be providing mobility in replacement, especially to what I call the mobility disadvantaged, those folks that don't have the economic wherewithal to have a car available to them to take them any place. Right. And so all well, of a sudden they become this wonderful societal. Um, animal, the societal machine, but it has to be accepted by that community that it's going to serve. And, and how that happens, 
I don't think we've even begun to, to do. Sure, we can go out there and, you know, in Chandler, Arizona with all nice white people and a nice, you know, whatever and so on, Aussie or Harriet environment. And, you know, maybe it'll happen. But but what about providing mobility to the mo- people who really could use the mobility and enhance their quality of life? And how do we do that? And how do we have that acceptance? And that's what I like so much about, you know, your article here, really focusing on that piece. Yeah. Well, I think there are a couple of elements of trust that we understand already, uh, but we haven't applied to this industry, this, this fledgling industry. Um, you know, I think one of the things that's going on right now is, is all the developers are being very opaque about what they're doing. Uh, right. They're, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to protect their intellectual property and they're trying to set de facto standards so they have, they can make more money later, which means that they're essentially saying, trust us, you know, trust us that, that it's, we're making it work. And to a certain extent at the level of their testing, I think we can trust them, but I think in order to cross the line from, you know, a, a, a neat science project, to a public service, uh, transit services, kind of mobility services you talk a lot about, we have to go through uh, a, a stage of independent verification and validation, and we have to go through Absolutely. a stage, stage of standardization and regulation. I mean, we have standards and regulations of, across so many aspects of human-driven cars. Say we're going to need that for, for these cars as well. Now, I'm not sure exactly how that's going to work, but I, I'm sure that we're going to have to go through those stages and until then, we can't ask the public to accept this stuff. How do these cars tell you that they're about to turn? You know, and, and right. you know, do we have a different turning mechanism for Waymo versus GM versus Ford? Or do we all know that, you know, how, how these cars will operate? You know, and all the way to our, how do we validate the parts work, you know, that they're, they're great. And I think we're going to get to the point where the developers will embrace this kind of uh, external validation and, and standardization regulation, because the ones that are good enough will see that that's how they separate themselves once from the ones who are not good enough. Right, and and also the the I, I think you mentioned uh, the 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 absolute necessary requirement on all these things is that, is that they're safe. <laughs> if they're not safe, they're dead on arrival. We might as well forget. They're they're they're, they're it's going to be a, a worse than the Segway. I mean, they won't be they won't be anywhere. Oh, absolutely. Uh, except right. for maybe you know uh, Disneyland or something like that. Just like we still have horse-drawn uh, trolleys in Disneyland, we'll have these things. So yeah, until they're good uh, enough, know, safety is matter. paramount. Right. Absolutely. You also mm-hmm. say in Forbes, Chunka, that if automated vehicles are to succeed, they'll have to appeal to consumers who want to own their own cars. So, describe for us well, how you see this happening. Sure. Well, it's a little bit different. My view is a little bit different. I, I don't think that that consumers have to own these cars in order for them to succeed. But I think in order for them to revolutionize transportation, in order for us to imagine redesigning transit systems, systems around them, or for us to re- imagine redesigning cities around them, they're going to have to. They're going to really have to sort of make up the bulk of the cars operating. And the reality is that most personal vehicles. Most vehicles are personally owned because we choose to do that. You know, there's no reason why somebody has to buy a $100,000 car, uh, but they choose to do it anyway. So just because these cars will be able to provide mobility services doesn't mean that everybody will take those mobility services. So if you, if you add up 
all of the train rides, all of the bus rides, all of the taxi rides, all of the Uber rides, and say that these cars, these mobility services will replace all of those, you still have no more than 20% of the vehicle miles. No, you're at 4%. Nationwide, it's 4% of the trips. That's all. That's no business. That's worse than Segway. Go ahead. Well, I think it's larger than that when you add in the other public transit. But but even if you take all of that, double and triple and quadruple it, it will still be a minority of the vehicle miles traveled. So if this this technology is going to really revolutionize transportation, it has to be good enough for personal ownership. Now, I may choose not to buy one, but if it's not good enough for personal ownership, then it's not good enough. Well, well, I sort of I disagree with you a little bit on that uh, because because I think it's just a decision that we're going to leave our cars in the driveway and not use them and not buy re- and just uh, you know not have two or three or four at best have one and and maybe use this. I mean, uh, the thing that I always end up with is the elevator analogy. If I live in a high rise, I don't own my own elevator unless I'm the Donald or something. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, and I just, the, the mobility is, is part of the rent that I pay. Right. You know, I wouldn't pay any rent on the 14th floor if they, if they didn't provide a, 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 an elevator. And it's just, it's really good enough. And, 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 and so the question is, is whether or not we can do that horizontally. This has the opportunity to do it horizontally so that, you know, it's, it's, it was a pain for me to take my car out to Princeton Junction to catch the train today and then take it back. Mm-hmm. It would have been a whole heck of a lot better if I would, you know, uh, I, I should have used Lyft, but, you know, I'm cheap. I don't know, but whatever. Um, <laughs> well, you know, look, but, but, yeah, go ahead. Let me make sure I, I, I'm clear on this. I'm not saying technically it has to allow for personal ownership. I'm saying from a business standpoint. From a business model standpoint, if people can't buy it themselves because they're too complicated or they're too expensive, they're too hard to maintain, if we can't reach the, to, to the level of, of, um, of sophistication and maturity where it allows for personal ownership, the technology can still be worth a lot. It can still have a lot of impact and still provide good services, but it won't revolutionize transportation as many people, including me, have talked about. But but you don't think that if I if I'm a Waymo or a GM and I put my technology package on a vehicle and I now serve 50 trips a day on that thing, and um, and I make the margin on those trips, I'm not I'm not just uh, a happy camper all the way to the bank as opposed to trying to sell it to Chunka and have him leave it in his. Uh, in his uh, circular drive um, 94% of the time during the day. Well, you, you could be a happy camper and you can make a lot of money, but there will still be a lot of personal cars sold and you will want to sell those as well. And that's, that's the really, you know, that's the really, really, really trillion dollar opportunity. You know, we, we travel about 3 trillion miles a year in the U.S. Sure, if you took 10% of that, that's, you know, 300, 300, Billion miles. That's uh, that's a lot of miles, and that you can make a lot of money. But why that. can't I do eighty percent of that? Well, because I don't think that's the way it's going to work. I mean, because that, as you said <laughs> earlier, as you said earlier, we only do four percent of we only do four percent of of miles of all those other mechanisms that you that we 
we could because have. Because they're so lousy. They, they go nowhere. They come from nowhere. I've got to live in, in a 100-story uh, high-rise, densed up against who knows whom. Yes. Um, I think well, that <laughs> the, the, the only reason, you know, you can make an argument that from a cost standpoint, people should, should use mobility services once they're good enough. But I don't think that we're entirely rational economic animals. So I don't want to get hung up on this point, but I think personal ownership is, is on the, is the next level beyond the mobility services that you care about. And I really care about those mobility services too, but I think that that next level of capability, um, if it's developed, will, will radically change the auto business. And, um, it won't be changed as much if, if they don't develop it to that level. Yeah, and well, I, I, you know, I, I agree with you on that one, and and um, at some point, I think in in the early stages, these are fragile entities, especially right. you know the driverless ones, because they, they, there's there's nothing protecting them. There isn't right. an owner sitting there, you know, watching over it, making sure you don't even breathe on it, let alone you right. know touch it, let alone key it. Well, that that uh, is. So, uh, that is definitely, I mean, that is the first issue I talk about in, in the article, the issue of scaling. <laughs> Being able to develop one of these cars, you know, technically is a lot different than turning a fleet of several, you know, tens of thousands of them into a business. Millions. Yeah, yeah. right. I mean, but, you know, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So if you, if you need 50,000 of them to, to really serve Phoenix well, then you have to say, okay, how am I going to produce 50,000 cars? How am I going to charge them? Are the maps good enough for the entire area? How am I going to manage the fleet? How do I dispatch them? How do I recharge them? How do I provide customer service if there's nobody sitting in the car? Right. So right. I think about these things as really a, a kind of business. It's like a, it's like a hotel on wheels. Right. Right. With, but with no front desk, no security guard, no house, you know, housekeeper. Um, you know, what happens when somebody gets, gets sick or, you know, the, Leaves their their stuff in the back. There's going to be a or lot. What of happens when it breaks down? You know, because exactly. it is going to break down. Right. It gets a flat tire. You don't think these things are going to get flat tires? Right. So goodness. the complexity <laughs> of scaling, the complexity of scaling, yeah, is no. really really difficult. And one of the reasons I wrote this piece is I see a lot of the businesses working on the technology, and I haven't seen the same level of attention made to okay, what does it take to build a business now? That may be right from a timing standpoint, but we're going to have to deal with these issues in order to really create the businesses. I think that's that's very insightful of you because there really has not been enough of a discussion as to uh, how you build build a business around these things. Um, uh, you know, again, you you can sell the comfort and convenience pieces because now I uh, you know I have autopilot on my Tesla and I can take my hands off my wheel or the wheels and so on. Uh, but but what Cruz and 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 Waymo are trying to do is out there put a vehicle out there that doesn't have a driver and try to take advantage of the opportunity of reducing the labor costs associated with a driver and not, not just and it's not just labor costs it's it's the it's the opportunity to deliver a service because if now you have to have you have to get a motivate a human to do what you can just have an algorithm do in terms of providing service empty vehicle management blah 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 ride sharing it's a heck of a lot easier to write an algorithm than it is to manage who knows how many gig workers right so right. Um, i'm really happy ahead. they're working on that really hard problem because 
you have to get to the point of driverless, as you talk about a lot. Right. You have to get to the point of right. driverless in order to actually provide the economic case to kind of have the kind of mobility services that, that I know you care a lot about. So working right. on driverless, working on the hard problem is, is key. The, the driverless, you don't, you don't get the mobility machine until you're driverless. Okay. And, um, and if that's, and, and I think that should be one of the objectives of all this, because if you can create this mobility machine, then, then, then you're, you're providing a quality of life enhancement to, uh, to a substantial segment of the population that is really, uh, not well, I mean, we've been abusing those poor people. You know, we do low-income housing here in New Jersey, and we stick it on the, you know, as far away from uh, where you can get a quart of milk. So you have to own a, a Cadillac to go get a quart of milk. Right. I mean, uh, right. cut it out. Um, so yeah. Um, so anyway. in addition to trust and scaling, I think the two other sort of big categories that still have to be tackled are one: market viability. Right. Even if you build a business, is it profitable enough to be sustainable? And the last one, I think, is actually perhaps the hardest one further out, which is can we deal with the secondary effects of actually successful businesses around around uh, these kinds of technologies? Because, you know, it's going to be one of those cases where it's going to be a lot of good, a lot of economic benefits, as you described. But there's going to be some really negative secondary effects to, to grapple with as well, like congestion, job loss, things of that sort. Yeah. And although some people suggest that, uh, you know, with new technology, it seems like we seem to be able to create jobs out of these things. Uh, you know, uh, Excel unemployed a whole heck of a lot of MBAs, but I guess they figured out something else to do with their MBA as opposed to sitting there in green ledgers and adding up, you know, yeah. columns of numbers. So I, I don't know. Well, I'm optimistic as well about about creating new job creation. But I think if we don't manage the transition well, you may have a public backlash against these against sure. these businesses. Again, not only the public backlash, but as we talked about earlier, the whole societal backlash of uh, my goodness, uh, these things are invaders in on our in our domain, and uh, this is another gentrification type thing. Who knows what kind of things might be thrown at it? I don't know, and. And whatever, and it ends up being not even as good as a segue. I mean, I loved, I loved the, you know, the context that you put the whole thing in. Alan, I know that uh, I don't want to open it up, open up another can of worms here, but I think the idea of uh, ride sharing is a big part of the way you see this evolving. And uh, wouldn't that alleviate uh, some of the congestion issues that you talk about? Well, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, 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 the ride sharing just the, you know, unfortunately ride sharing is the answer to everything. The, the question is how in the heck do we accomplish it? You know, I mean, we've created what we've created as a society with the car is that we're in there by ourselves or we've dragged along our spouse to sit in the in the seat next to us so that we can use the high occupancy lane on the highway. But we haven't taken a vehicle off the road, so therefore we shouldn't be there. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Uh, how we I, do that, yeah. I have no idea. But, you know, uh, it's just something we should strive to. Uh, Chunka, what do you think? Absolutely. I, I think that ride sharing, uh, sharing these vehicles is is one of the ways of dealing with the uh, the added congestion and the load. I think um, it's not obvious how we do that. I mean, there's going to be a, there's going to have to be a lot of 
a lot of interesting work done from a from a economic incentive and and a sort of a cultural uh, training standpoint that we're going to have to do. And this is also so this is one of the things that these mobility services will have to think about. But you know it's it's hard when you think about if you can actually give somebody point to point service for less than the cost of owning a car, and you say to them, but if you if you if if you share with somebody, well, I'll cut that price even more. That person might well say to you, "No, no, this is good enough. I'll just ride by myself. Thank you." Yeah, I, and and they may, and and you know, maybe. Although you know, I was in I was in a high rise today, and um, uh, I had to share on the elevator with two other people. I said to them, "I don't think I want to share with you. I'm going to wait for my own." And then they looked at me funny, so I got in with them. But um, <laughs> I, I, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean it, that is so tough. Madison Avenue has sold it, has, has done a hundred years of of advert of, of brainwashing to us, saying, "Oh, we got to own one. We have to we have to haul stuff. We have to we have to keep our golf clubs and and, and who knows what dead bodies in the car. You, you got to have your own. You got to what other things? Well, I can and, and you know." Go ahead. <laughs> I have never gone into the shared taxi lane at the airport. Yeah, well, no, okay. <laughs> um, I didn't even know there was one. Okay, <laughs> because but but I think I don't know. I I I think I, I don't know. Especially when I have, if I have my own device, I put my nose in it. I mean, I was, I just yesterday, you know, I dinner with my daughter and I looked at this young couple, you know, sitting there having dinner. Uh, they didn't talk to each other. They just had their phones in their face. They, they were, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's evolving with society. We're around people, yet we put our phones in our face and we're all alone. So maybe yeah. that's the solution. I don't well, know. I, I talk about this as a secondary effect because not, not because I think we have to I mean, as they as they say in Silicon Valley, it's a high class problem to have. Um, yes, we, yes, we'll have to deal with a lot of issues before we get there. But the sooner we recognize that that's that's the end goal that we're aiming for, and the better chance we have of getting there. Yeah, I mean, in, in a sense, uh, we need to to think seriously about the ride sharing because all of a sudden, if we improve mobility, if we make it easier and and more desirable to travel. Uh, we're going to travel more. And not only are we going to have more people, which, you know, the country still grows, we're going to have more tra- more personal miles traveled. And if we're doing this in each of our own vehicles, that means nothing but vehicle miles traveled. And at some point, you know, that, that just exacerbates congestion. It, it has to. I mean, there's no place for it to go. Well, so at some yeah. point, we have, you know, we're we're gonna have to grapple with this. I don't know how, I don't know when, but, you know, yeah, it's and inevitable. I, you probably saw the study in San Francisco that came out a, a little while ago that that concluded that the Ubers and the Lyfts of the world over the last five years have increased congestion in in the city center by over fifty percent. Yeah, and 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 I come back and I say, yeah, well, maybe the people that are taking that had should have first dibs on that space. Why is it that people who uh, who take their own cars, how did they get first dibs, and why should they? Why why should we scoot those people up from the use of the public roadways? I say the same thing with respect to New York. 
uh, okay, uh, what if they did maybe in, in, out in Brooklyn and in Queens, you know, the, those services are providing mobility that the MTA can provide and it's improving those people's quality of life and, and, and they deserve to have access to, to yeah. that capacity. And it shouldn't just be reserved for the two of us, Chunka. I mean, I, right. I want to, sure. we'll, sure. we'll include Fred too, just for the hell of it, but you know, All right. I'm going to jump in here now and (laughs) we're going to move things along. But first, I I want to I'd like to thank Alan that 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 couple in the restaurant, they were sending romantic text messages to each other. Yeah, right. I I don't think so. I mean, they're probably letting Facebook looking at somebody else's. I don't know, whatever, I, maybe, what do I know? <laughs> well, we do want to get into some of the headlines from the latest Smart Driving Cars newsletter. Uh, first up, a piece on Waymo and whether it will meet its self-imposed deadline to launch a public taxi service by the end of the year in Arizona. They've apparently been putting uh, some safety drivers back into back into vehicles. Well, I, I think my view on that is I, I think they will meet it. I think they almost have to. I mean, Adam Jonas says they're worth 175 big ones. And the only way they're worth that is if they meet, uh, you know, this hurdle. Otherwise, they're going to, you know, Wall Street is going to whack them. Uh, but but the, the safety driver piece, um, that doesn't bother me because I, I think it's even responsible of them. Um, going out there with with the with the scale of the of the thing that they're doing there, it's 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 big. It's five percent of the Phoenix area. It's non-trivial, but it's still very very small compared to where it could be. And and since safety is so paramount, they can't afford a glitch. And so at least for, you know, the maybe the next six months, next year, put the safety drivers in there. It's not going to cost them all that much. And if it helps them avoid a hiccup, it will be so well worth it. Get that thing working so well so then it is obvious and everybody accepts it. And then all of a sudden it's like me, you know, going up to Newark People Mover every time I get on there and I say, you know, Newark Airport, I said, where's the driver? Where's the driver? Yes. There's no driver on here. And then people start dialing 911, you know, get the police in here. There's a crazy guy. Of course there's no driver. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, yeah. um, I think, I think that the- in, in – Chunka pointed out in his piece. Go ahead, Chunka. I was going to say, I hope, and I, I think we're very close to this danger. I hope the last thing they do is to decide whether or not to launch based upon what an investment banker says. Well, uh, although, you know, um, I think the investment bankers will, will make sure that they are, they are more careful and, and and won't go for the hype. I I look, I I don't think they're the source of the hype. I I think I like having the the, the bankers in there, because because if you Alan, look at investment what happened, bankers are always the source of the hype, because the um, the, the metric the metric uh, the yeah, metric uh, that these that, guys well, you, care that, about yes, is valuation. It's true enough. Uh, yes. Just quickly, I think one of the dangers that we have right now is that the investor hype. Um, and I, I blame this on, on valuation hype, not on, not on the press, because the press has really no power here. If we start making decisions based on quarterly uh, CEO meetings about, about this technology, we're, it, it, we're in a bad state. And that, I think that's the danger here of the stuff moving faster than it's ready because people have to 
you know, make, make their numbers in order to meet those quarterly whatevers or, the, or these kinds of dates. I hope they just get it right and, and put these things aside. I, I agree with you 100%. I'm hoping that what Wall Street does is really forces them to make sure that they do get it right. Uh, because boy, uh, th- there's another hiccup. Um, uh, it's, it's dead on arrival. It's not going anywhere. Um, but um, yes. All right, Fred. Well, another headline, Alan says in the first nine months of this year. Venture capital investments in automated vehicles roughly doubled over the amount spent in all of last year. So money's coming in. Money's coming in. Money's going into the technologies. I think Chanka mentioned it. Yes, there's a lot going into the the technologies. I'm not sure how much money's going into the businesses that will end up, I mean, these things are going to end up having to be, having to be mobility machines of one form or another that are purchased by either fleets, riders, or somebody that's going to then generate the cash flow that's going to justify all that investment. And I don't know how much of that investment is going on the business piece of these things. It's going on the gizmos and on the, on the, on the building blocks. Um, but, uh, the businesses, um, I don't know, Chunka, what's your view on that? Oh, I think most of that money, much of that money is dumb money. I think there's a lot of people chasing the technology because they see, they see other people's good work as market validation. I think there's going to be a massive shakeout. Most of the money going in now, I agree with you, is for technology companies that hope to be bought, not hope right. to release product. But at some point, somebody has to assemble something that invent, that generates a revenue flow that, in fact, pays for all that. I I think that doesn't the doesn't the rubber meet the road at some point? <laughs> well, there was just a report today that this president of uh, GM has moved to be the CEO of Cruise Automation. Um, so yeah. that's an example of you know a company that, that needs to make money off of this stuff as opposed to being hope you know as opposed to. Uh, investors, yep. venture capitalists hoping to make a gizmo that GM will buy. Well, Alan, why don't you get into your thoughts on, on GM? They're idling five factories, uh, 14,000 jobs down the drain, uh, but they are investing more in autonomous vehicles. Yeah, well, I think they're they're seeing it. One is, uh, you know, all this invest uh, advancements in AI and and um, uh, uh, Information processing, you know, it affects the white collar workforce that's been in there and you can do it with fewer of those folks in terms of the, uh, the, the, uh, legacy business that you've been running. And, and of course, if you, if you've had some, some, uh, uh, plants that, that make uh, manufacturing facilities that, uh, that aren't up to, you know, the, the standards of, of today, um, you're better off, um, mothballing those and building new ones. So I guess they're evolving and, and positioning themselves to, um, to not get block, blockbustered in the process. They, they want, they, I guess they want to become Netflix and not be blockbuster. Interesting. And I heard some speculation uh, that uh, maybe Elon Musk should take over one of these old plants <laughs> to, to start making his cars. Wouldn't that be a little ironic? Uh, I don't think he would set foot in it. <laughs> well, not without not without tearing it apart, that's for sure. I, well, I would hope so. 
because they probably deserve to be. I mean, the the, the amount of technology that now goes into the, the Tesla plants or, a, you know, a new man, manufacturing facility, it's, you know, it's it's another wave of manufacturing. We, we went through one of these when we had the Japanese invasion. And, uh, you know, this is just a, now it's a, you know, it's just a technology robot, whatever, <laughs> uh, just different way of, of making things as opposed to having uh, so many people in the loop. You know, Alan, these are actually very modern plants, modern factories. They have like the one, one of the ones that are closing is the one that's building the, uh, the Volt, which is a great car. The problem is that they're building cars and nobody's buying. Because everybody's right. buying SUVs and, and pick. so these are two different issues. The closing of these plants and their investment in EVs and AVs are really two separate issues. It's a good point. Finally, Amazon has announced an autonomous vehicle, the AWS Deep Racer, uh, more or less a toy. It goes on sale for $249. It's the size of a remote controlled car. But this is intended for developers to get familiar with a machine learning technique called Reinforcement Learning. And they're actually planning a series of racing events starting next year. You've been talking about Amazon having automated vehicles for a while, Alan. Oh, yeah, I don't know. When I first saw that, I thought it was a, a piece from the onion. <laughs> um, but I guess it isn't. Um, uh, I don't know. It, it, it's not that simple to do one of these things. And anybody who suggests that it it is that simple, I think, is um, misrepresenting the whole thing. Sure, it might be nice for some people to, to learn reinforcement learning AI. Uh, I'm not a big fan of reinforcement learning AI personally. So um, I just don't think that's I don't think that's the way anybody's really doing it. And in the end, uh, whatever elegant way emerges that finally makes this really work and really be profitable and, and, and revolutionizes everything, I don't think it's going to be reinforcement learning, but that's, on, that's my take on the darn thing. Uh, Chunka? It'll be a fun toy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a fun toy. It's fun to play with. Sure, I can buy a little right. robot dog from uh, from Ch uh, from Japan. Um, you know, useless. Maybe better than a Hess truck for the holidays. I'm going to bring back Pet Rock. <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for this edition. Uh, we want to thank Chunka Moy for being with us this week. Chunka, where should listeners go to, to follow you and your work? Well, they can find me on Twitter or, or LinkedIn, but uh, my Forbes column is, is a great place to start. Terrific. And you can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, now on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and plenty more. Ask your smart speaker to play us, too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening. Fred and Chunka, this was an enormous amount of fun. I certainly enjoyed it. Yes, thanks for having me. <laughs>